Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am your U.S. correspondent, Mr. Van Helsink. With me across the pond is the gold standing in ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parsons. That was very quick. Good evening, Ron. How are you? I was watching you on television last night. What? Yeah, the original 1957 version of you, Dr. Van Helsink. Yeah. 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 yeah that was cool. That was cool. Very cool. It was a very cool coat. Yeah. The one with the fur collar. I tell you what, I'll tell you what. Have you have you ever been on have you been on eBay lately? No, not at all. I I, I had a I had a few spare minutes before we logged on tonight and I was I put in ghost hunting equipment into eBay and well God there's some rubbish out there being sold, isn't there? I don't know. I think that thing you posted as a tr- trigger object was awesome. Which, which one? The f- the flashing penguin? Yeah, the... that was kind of cool. <laughs> I shall I shall buy you one then and send it over. There was there was uh, glowing eyeballs, a flashing penguin. There was a, there was a, there was a new version of the REM pod. The oh I don't know. Jesus, the, some people fooling his money has soon parted. I'm actually coming up with my own line. Yeah. Big What's ass ghost hunting gear. What's it called? Whatever. No, it's called big ass ghost hunting gear. Yeah. What's it going to sell then? Oh, all kinds of cool stuff like big ass thousand rods, big ass crosses. Find all glow in the dark. Yeah. So whatever. Oh, I don't know. There's some rubbish out there. I don't know. I go. I'm beginning to wonder, you know, because if. With the amount of rubbish equipment that's just trying to be flogged off under the ghost hunting banner these days, mm-hmm. whether, ghost, whether people genuinely have cottoned on to ghost hunters being gullible, whether ghost hunters are gullible, or whether people think ghost hunters are gullible, because people are buying this rubbish. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the next thing you'll be seeing will be somebody using, I don't know, a plastic baton that lights up if you hold it. Yeah. Well, I, I have the uh, the EMF underwear, so that works really well. Yeah, you might you might need it as well. Christ, on a bike though, oh, yeah, there is some rubbish out there being flogged. I don't know. I, I I'm almost embarrassed to be called a ghost hunter these days. There's so much. Well, anyways, anyway. we have a show today, so yeah. to it. Yeah, enough, enough ranting. We have we have someone who I've known for quite a while, and he is the founder and the lead investigator for Greenville Paranormal Re- Research. Is it research still? I don't know. Uh, Andrew Lake. Good. Is it Greenville Paranormal Research still? Okay. All right, so I, I, I just, you know, I get confused easily. And uh, Steve asked, I told, I told Steve before the show we were talking and that I uh, had known you for quite a while, and I was trying to remember how I met you. Do, do you remember? time I met you. I think, I think the first time I met you was with Chris Belzano in the Freetown State Forest. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so you should be. 
I think you should <laughs> offer anybody their condolences for knowing you. Well, I think uh, it was seven, seven years ago, I think. Really? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that, you mean the uh, Pukwudgie, Pukwudgie Expedition? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, oh my. The mind yeah, boggles. That, that was absolutely amazing. <laughs> it's, it's still, I still get lots of emails from that when the people come across it on YouTube. It, it was a weird night. I mean, the full moon and everything. And it just wasn't the the uh, the possible pug wedgie encounter. It was that, that other thing you guys ran into in the woods and saw on your uh, your FLIR imager. What, right. doggers? Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, we I'm don't. not sure what that was. Uh, but, um, yeah, it, it, you know, I mean, actually, it could have been the pug wedgie as well. Uh, uh, we don't know. Exactly, you know, because it was in thermal images, it's not like we had it in, in clear vision, other than yeah, thermal right. image. Right. Guys, can you, uh, for the for the benefit of the great unwashed here in Europe, can you explain what a puck is? And uh, doesn't everybody know? Uh, well, if, no, because I mean, you know, it could be doggers or something like that. No idea. Well, you, well, you folks have them over in England. They're in. Uh, uh, they're talked about in uh, Exmoor. The same are critters are are described over there. I was told by a Spanish investigator that they have them in the mountains of Spain too, and uh, uh, okay. the tribes throughout the the tribes throughout North America talk about them. They're basically a um, a magical little troll that can um, uh, turn itself into a uh, a point of light uh, and move about as a ball of energy. They're shapeshifters. They can present themselves as other animals, such as squirrels, uh, snakes, and, and so on and so forth. But um, they were supposedly created at the same time man was created and then had a falling out with the creator God and mankind, and they kind of don't like us anymore, and they'll, they'll do mean things like lure you into the woods with uh, balls of light. Uh, the Native Americans here in my part of the, the woods refer to it as Tai Pai Wonka. They'll, they'll lure you out into the woods to ambush you or cause you to walk off a cliff. But uh, they're nasty little, little two to three foot tall little like they kind of look like a cross between a, a Samoan wrestler and a werewolf. They're they're not uh, they're not pretty little things. And enough um, they're because you're small too. Yeah, yeah, they're cool. not very very tall, but uh, they're uh, they're talked about all throughout North America. Um, they've got quite a reputation. I never knew we had a colony of them here in um, here in the UK, but I. It does. I mean, you, it sounds like there's a couple of uh, folklore tales mixed up here. The UK versions. I mean, we have the Willow the Wisp or Marsh Gas, and we also have in Cornwall we have the Pixie or the Pisky, as they call it in Cornwall. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like the two of them are muddled, are getting a bit muddled up um, in the yeah. telling in the telling of the tale because I, I certainly have never heard of any specific. Set, uh, creature where where it can morph between a three foot troll and a ball of light, uh, at least not that I'm aware of. Maybe one of our listeners down in Devon or Cornwall might might enlighten us. But uh, interesting, that's a new one. No, we, we certainly don't call them puckwudgies. Well, no, 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 it's no a, that's an Algonquin name, right? And 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 you have actual sightings of them as well, Andrew, right? In, in your research. Yeah, um, I was here a year ago this June, a location that I believe has uh, at least two of the little buggers running around. Um, the property where they've, uh, they've been encountered, uh, someone was coming to visit the folks who own the property, knew nothing about the, um, the ghosts and, and the, uh, the Pugwudgies uh, on this property. They were coming down the road, a rural road in uh, Rhode Island, uh, 
in South County. And when they pulled into the uh, the folks' driveway, this this person was absolutely shook up and and white as a, a ghost. And when they calmed her down and asked her why she was so upset, she tr- tried to explain that as she was coming down the road, she saw this hideous little two to two and a half foot tall little hairy monster standing uh, by the edge of the road glaring at her. And what was really interesting about that is I've had three psychics on the property who knew nothing about these tales themselves pointed out this one specific spot uh, near the road where there's an old cellar hole on the property and said that one of your nasty little elementals lives up there. So then to have somebody who knew nothing about the, these, uh, you know, these, these reports come to visit the property, and as they were going by that, that spot of the property where that cellar hole is, and to see that in broad daylight, uh, I, I found that to be rather convincing. Right. I find well. I, do you know what? I mean, I'm finding this all a bit bizarre. Um, this idea of these little creatures, critters running around, and it, it sounds a bit like I don't know, it's something from a Stephen King novel or a comedy novel or something from the Brothers Grimm. Um, uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I've run across my case myself, where uh, a house was uh, people were driven out of their house by the little buggers. Could, can't it just be a raccoon? No, no, not even no. close. They're, no. they're much larger no. than raccoons. Oh, okay, okay. They're more ferocious and you know, I mean, I know it's we're getting close to Halloween and it's getting towards silly season. This does start. This is starting to sound a bit like a story. No, it's not oh, a story well, at all. Oh, yeah, I mean, so don't so don't ghost UFOs and everything else. But I'll tell you, uh, the more I more I investigate um, ghost stories, the more I hear uh, aspects of the hauntings that to me don't sound like ghosts. And the more research I do and the more uh, folks that I, I talk to who are practicing witches and uh, so on and so forth, and um, some of the, the psychics who I have uh, faith and confidence in, um, I really do believe that, uh, that there are things that can step in and out of the veil just like human spirits and, and, and ghosts can. And they, um, I think there's a whole menagerie of these creatures. I think that's why... The stories get muddled up, and as you were saying, uh, you know, a few minutes ago, it sounds like they're mixing one tale with another tale. But then again, maybe people are seeing one form of troll or dwarf uh, that ne- isn't necessarily what we would call a pugwudgie, and some people are seeing what would be called a, a pugwudgie, or maybe they're seeing something that would be considered uh, a fairy or a fey folk. I know this is all speculation; there's no proof of this. But when you do your research, you find that folks have been talking about. The Fae people and, and these what we would call dimension jumpers for quite some time, and you also hear tales that fairies and and pugwudgies are sort of guardians of the dead. The pugwudgies supposedly the the orbs of light that are, are associated with them are actual souls that have been collected. Uh, the pugwudgies are supposedly uh, are nasty in the way that they'll grab someone's soul before it can pass on to the great beyond and, and collect it uh, and, and then be able to manipulate these uh, balls of light. And that's really strange because the case I was talking about in Rhode Island, that's what made the homeowners um, curious if they had something paranormal going on because they were seeing balls of light dancing around um, airplane wreckage that the homeowner collects for museums. And the psychics had brought onto the property said that the spirits of some of the dead pilots and crew are haunting their wreckage. And when I brought other psychics onto the property who talked to these pilots, the hair stood up on my arms when three of them said the pilots are talking about these nasty little creatures that they have to protect uh, the civilians from. So, again, it's all stories, all speculation. 
but because I was there experiencing these things, seeing things with my own eyes, recording things uh, with cameras, I have to wonder if maybe I should be a little bit more open-minded about the possibility of little dimensional creatures accompanying ghosts. Right. You actually have a great picture of one, right? Yeah, it was, it was total, totally by accident. One of the psychics with a very simple camera and a little pen light flashlight was scanning a pile of um, airplane wreckage. And she reported me the next day. She said, Andrew, I think I caught that elemental I was telling you about I could sense on the property. And I went to go look at the footage, and she had a terrible monitor on her computer. So at first I was like, yeah, it looked like it was something in the blueberry bush, and then it disappears, but uh, I don't know. But when we brought it up on a really beautiful, sophisticated uh, computer used by a, uh, an artist, it was a beautiful monitor, um, someone with experience uh, editing video footage was able to capture that one frame and, and enlarge it a little bit. And I started apologizing profusely to the psychic who caught it because uh, you can see it on my website. In, in my opinion and everybody who's seen it, there's definitely a little figure there. And someone of Narragansett uh, blood saw the picture and told me, that is a Pugwudgie. You did catch a Pugwudgie. Mm -hmm. So okay. who knows? I, I realize it's very far-fetched. I'm, I'm the first to admit it, but when you investigate these things personally and you have the experiences I I've had and you've interviewed very down-to-earth folks who have had these experiences, I think there's something to it. Mm. Now, we actually have a question from the chat room from, uh, uh, where was that, from uh, John. He says, got a question. What happens if you manage to capture a Pukwudgie? Is it a good idea or a bad idea to capture it? Has, has uh, a Pukwudgie ever been captured that we know of? You know, there's a story I remember reading in, uh, uh, what was it, Joe uh, Citro's uh, book um, that he wrote for the Weird series, Weird New England. Oh, he yeah. brought up a story, I believe, out of New Hampshire in the 19th century, where a guy claimed that he captured uh, a little two-foot-tall, hairy uh, beast, and he tried to, um, he tried to uh, keep it caged up. But by the, the next day, when he went to go check the cage, it, it was just gone. And uh, some people have wondered if it was a, an infant Bigfoot or whatever, but I sometimes wonder if that could have been, you know, uh, a, a Pugwudgie. However, uh, talking to people who are, seem to be more knowledgeable about the legend than, than I, people of, of Native American descent, they say that um, the Pugwudgie can actually um, uh, escape by turning itself into sort of like a, a nasty, gloppy liquid and can soak right into the ground in a matter of seconds and get away. Or it can shape shift into a, another animal, um, and I've heard a very strange story uh, that took place not far from this this uh, property in Rhode Island, where a guy who owned a restaurant uh, was opening up around five o'clock in the morning to get ready for the breakfast crowd, and we went up, stepped out back to his uh, dumpster. There was this strange bubbling pile of puke out back of the door, and he was like, "Where the heck did that come from? That wasn't there last night when I closed down," and he went inside to get a shovel to scoop it up to throw it into the dumpster and within a matter of a minute or two when it came out there was no evidence the stuff was even there on the ground mm -hmm. and uh, a, a woman of uh, Narragansett uh, ancestry had, uh, had speculated gee I wonder if you <laughs> caught one of our pug wedgies in the area because that's supposedly something they're able to do if you can believe it Right, and the the interesting thing too is is, is when we went on that uh, expedition with you and Chris Balzano um, the thermal imaging, that's basically, it, it didn't come into a liquid, but the, the image of whatever it was actually began to form rather than just appearing. Uh, it was more like it, it shape shifted into it than, than just, uh, you know, appeared. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I was there. I was. I, I, I missed it both times. It was cited, unfortunately, that night. But I remember you guys talking about it. Right, and yeah, that's the other thing. Of course, we were drawn into the woods, as the legend goes, too. So that was kind of cool as well. Yeah, it was a weird night. I, I, I've told a, a few people that story. It, it is a. It was a very strange night. <laughs> now, I mean, the place where we went for this expedition, uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, about it? Well, the Freetown State Forest. And the uh, uh, As well, Asatona, yeah, whatever the, the hell is the village. Yeah, the, um, yeah, the Freetown State Forest uh, uh, in Massachusetts, which is um, uh, just uh, uh, east of uh, the, the city of Fall River, it's uh, probably the first thing to say about it. It's the bottom... Uh, eastern corner of the infamous Bridgewater Triangle. Uh, the state park um, it's itself, uh, uh, like most land here uh, in Massachusetts, um, was owned by the, the Wampanoags. But when the, um, the head sachem uh, had gotten into debt with the, um, the, uh, the English government up in uh, the Plymouth Colony, uh, supposedly he owed for everything from uh, gallons of rum, blankets, gunpowder, firearms, that sort of thing. They turned to his uh, son, who was referred to as uh, King Philip, that was his Christian name, and said, hey, you know, you, you, you owe us uh, a great debt. And so the, the Wampanoag said, well, we don't understand this debt you're talking about, but if you, you're looking for something material uh, in return, you know, we'll give you this, uh, this section uh, uh, here that is now known as the Freetown State Forest in the town of Freetown, Massachusetts. Um, then at some point, it, it, and I believe in the early 20th century, it was a section of the forest was actually given back as an apology to the uh, the Wampanoag tribe. And uh, the funny thing about that is, is the Wampanoag took it, you know, and, and you know said thank you, we will take this land back. And they do hold their uh, their powwow meetings there uh, once a year, but that's about all they'll do with the land. And people who have talked to the Wampanoag have said that um, that the forest is tainted. It's it's just got, has an evil presence. Now, I love hiking in the woods, but of all the the places I've been to, either in, at night or in the daytime, any forest area I've been to, I do not like the Freetown State Forest. It it has a weird vibe to it. There's been an awful lot of crime committed in that woods. There's even believed to have been uh, Satanism and cults where uh, quite possibly children and uh, prostitutes have been used as uh, sacrifice in the forest. Uh, there's just been an awful lot of negativity um, that has taken place in that forest. Uh, a lot of criminal activity, satanic activity, and it has a reputation of uh, being the dwelling place of the uh, the Pugwudgie, shadow figures, and uh, Native American ghosts. Uh, very strange, spooky uh, place. And people contact me and ask me, you know, uh, advice where to go and where to park my car and where to investigate. And I always tell them, I can't recommend you do that, but if you do, go in numbers. Don't. Don't go by yourself or just one or two people. Uh, we had a police officer recently uh, share a story about he was in there hunting, and he glanced over, and, and uh, only about maybe 25, 30 yards away, he saw a bunch of hooded figures cutting through the woods. And when he went to go investigate, they were gone like, like, like ghosts. And he never told anybody because he didn't want to get laughed at, but he shared that story with us at a, uh, a showing of the documentary, The Bridgewater Triangle. And um, he says he doesn't know if they were devil worshippers who knew the woods better than him or if he saw ghosts but he said it really left him unsettled and this was a man carrying a 50 caliber black powered rifle in his hand and, and, and it scared him right 
And and the ledge, of course, where where that film, the attack of the Pukwudgies, was uh, shot um, in the heart of the forest. Right, and and there's a lot to do with that. Of people going in there and and a good frame of mind end up committing suicide by jumping off the ledge. That is, I know, one of the stories behind it. Yeah, there's the the woman and uh, the lady in white, the lady of the ledge. Um, she's been seen um, uh, even in recent times. People are still reporting seeing her, and of course, you get a lot of urban uh, legend and, and folklore get mixed in with any of these uh, ghosts. And oh, it's sure. believed that uh, it was believed that she committed suicide because of a failed love affair, or was supposed to meet somebody she was going to elope with, or whatever. I don't know why you'd meet in the middle of a forest at an old uh, a quarry ledge, but uh, supposedly she threw herself from the ledge. But you are right, Ron. There are stories of people going out there to the stargaze because it's a perfect place uh, with no light pollution to go look at the stars. And I've had a couple of people say that they've had friends who weren't, you know, they weren't drinking or smoking anything they shouldn't be, but suddenly got kind of morose and started to walk toward the ledge and, and get kind of suicidal. Um, I've heard this from a few people and uh, talked to a, a park ranger who says that uh, some of the people who have fallen off of that ledge have just been plain stupidity, uh, just horsing around trying to impress girls and trying to dive into the quarry because it's quite a, quite a drop into the water. Uh, and some of them have bounced off the rocks and, and been killed. But there are stories of people going seemingly drawn to that, that quarry ledge and going out there and, and, and ending it all. Kind of spooky. So uh, if you want, if it, people wanted to find out more about uh, the Freetown State Forest and, and the ledge and the puck wedgies, uh, what do you recommend for them? Oh, well, uh, Christopher Belzano's uh, book on uh, Schiffer Press called uh, Dark Wood. Um, uh, I think Chris did a, um, a terrific job uh, focusing on that, that one aspect of the Bridgewater Triangle um, and, and did some very interesting interviews. And, and there are two interviews in the book about people who sat down with me and said, look, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I have seen these little Pugwudgie monsters in the woods, and uh, um, they, they were quite terrifying encounters. But there's also some ghost stories and some stories about uh, the, the crime as well. But one of the interesting things about the Asanet Ledge um, it was closed down after a really bad accident. They were blasting the ledge, and I guess some guys got uh, killed by the uh, the dynamite blast, and it led to the uh, the company basically closing down uh, uh, work at the ledge. But a lot of that granite that came out of the Asanet Ledge, this this location that has a you know such a haunted uh, supernatural reputation, a lot of that granite ended up in some of the infamous. Uh, mental institutions within the Bridgewater Triangle that are supposedly horribly haunted and have you know, all this dark energy connected to them, as well as some of the uh, the big mansions in Newport, Rhode Island that have a haunted reputation. So it's kind of odd that stone from a, a notoriously supernatural location uh, that was used to build uh, structures uh, elsewhere throughout Massachusetts and Rhode Island, those places, too, uh, developed a, a reputation for being haunted. Right. Now, Andrew, you have two books of your own out right right now, right? No, actually, actually I only have one book. I've helped a few people with um, their books, but uh, um, my second book um, is uh, still uh, still in the works. Uh, okay. I, I'm trying to write it well and, and not and not rush it. And it's uh, the research uh, in New York State has been uh, been uh, taxing my uh, resources heavily. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it, the book that you do have out is called Ghost Hunting and the. Uh 
Yeah, Ghost Hunting Southern New England. It's on uh, Clearacy Press. It's a, a guidebook to 36 uh, haunted locations in Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island that the public can visit. In other words, it's not an abandoned building or a private property. It's uh, you know a, a restaurant, a museum, uh, a store, whatever the case might be, that has a, um, a legitimate reputation for being haunted. Mm -hmm. And I know you're working on 30-odd minutes with Jeff Belanger. And uh, what else are you uh, working with right now or working on? Well, one of the other fun uh, projects that uh, I've been taking part in is uh, also with uh, Jeff and uh, our colleague Tim uh, uh, Weisberg of Spooky uh, South Coast Radio. Um, uh, we've uh, put together these events called Legend Tripping. Oh, yeah, they're great. Uh, it's, it, yeah, it's been a lot of fun because, you know, not only do the folks get to go to places that really haven't been that investigated or maybe even talked about that much as being a haunted location, uh, we've been able to get folks in there and uh, raise some money for the the location itself. You know, some of these uh, museums and historic houses are kind of hurting for money, and they uh, they trusted us to um, you know uh, do these uh, conducted pours on the property and tell the the ghost stories. And um, they've been able to uh, do necessary repairs or or buy oil to keep the the place open uh, for the the winter, and and uh, we're quite proud of that. That's excellent. So. Um your website is you want to give that out for because we're ready to just yeah, sure. it's, uh, it's greenvilleparanormal.com there you go greenvilleparanormal.com it's also on our page which is uh, Ghost Chronicles International um, before we let him go do you have anything you would like to ask uh, Steve uh, no I'm just completely mind blown by this concept because this is a lot of what you two guys have been talking about has been almost alien to to, to me um Yes, I'm very aware of folklore and mythology. I, I live in a part of the UK that's very rich in its folklore and mythology, but listening to the North American folklore and mythology, it's entirely an alien concept. Um, we have similar things, but I think you guys certainly go way, way, way far and beyond. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you say that. You've got to understand here in New England, not only did you have the Native Americans with their similar um, uh, belief systems, I mean, uh, my, uh, my last name is Lake. My ancestry comes from uh, from uh, Lincolnshire, England. Uh, and you got to remember the the Irish and the Scots and the Welsh and the English, uh, as well as the uh, you know the the folks from uh, Norway and, and uh, Sweden uh, settled in, in uh, my part of the country. So they brought a lot of their European uh, folklore and beliefs, uh, you know, to New England. And it's kind of funny how the whites could understand with, you know, these characters and, and these elementals that the Indians were talking about. They seem to, they seem to share a common bond. Um, so it's, it's not too, I think if you were to do your research, I think you'd, you'd find that a lot of the New England fey folk are very, very similar to the legends of uh, uh, Britain's fey folk. Um, the, there are similarities, but there are yeah. also some, some, some extreme differences. Okay. So, believe it or not, Andrew, we're going to have to let you go. We want to thank you so sure. much for yeah, for thank, That was by. fascinating. And, okay, well, thanks uh, for having me on, guys. Yeah, anything else you want to add as far as any events you've got coming up or where people can uh, see you? Um, no, nothing nothing at the moment. I've, I've done uh, done all my talks and appearances here in New England, uh, but I do have a very interesting case up in Winchester, Mass, that I'm looking forward to on the 30th. Okay. Thanks a lot, Andrew. You take care. Yeah, yeah thank bye. you. Thank you. Bye-bye, guys. Bye.
Well, that was Andrew Lake, and now it's time for a break. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles. Uh, rhymed. International, right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Planet Paranormal, and beyond. We'll be right back after the following messages. Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Lassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be. With remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased, we'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky. The Parax family. The shows are paranormal. Not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal. The Parax family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous. As we give awards to the Parax family. <laughs> All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so, Ann, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann and Ron. See you then. And the beating of the heart brings us back to part two of Ghost Chronicles International. Should I say Weird Chronicles International tonight? Um, you're listening to us live on Togginet, Parax, Ghost Channel, Ghost Box. You might not be. You might be listening to us on one of the iTunes podcasts or one of the other podcasts. But 
tonight is a bit of a, I don't know whether it's just because we're coming up to Halloween, but uh, we had a, a, a very interesting, or for me it was anyway, um, talk about the American, North American Pukwudgie and these little creatures, which had me reaching to the bookshelf during, during the ad break to uh, touch base with one of the greatest mysteries um, in psychical research involving small people, that of the Cottingley Fairies, which involved Frances Griffiths and her cousin Elsie Wright and a series of photographs that were taken towards the end of World War One in 1917 in, uh, just out in, in Yorkshire, in the town of Cottingley. The photographs, uh, I don't know, people have always said they've been debunked, but uh, there was a book privately published in 2009 written by Frances and her daughter, Christine, um, in which they maintain, Frances maintains, that although the first four pictures were set-up pictures to try and explain to the adults what it was the girls were seeing, that the fifth picture uh, in the sequence, that, I think, of the fairy bower, was actually a genuine photograph. So maybe these little people are around. Uh, certainly in West Wales, where I live, we have our, we have our fair share of fairies. So, uh, I don't know. Pugwudgies? Fairies? Trolls? We're not talking internet trolls, are we, Ron? Not at all. You know, it's interesting, Steve. It, it, it's much easier to accept something like the glass forts where... It, we can't really explain them or anything, but then a creature uh, that we can't explain or anything. You know, it's 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 easier to accept something that's not moving alive. You know, don't you think? I think there's an awful lot of things that we we have to uh, we have to take the witnesses' statements at face value. Well, mm-hmm. What they said. What they experience, what they saw, is an entirely real event to them. Whether it be a ghost, whether it be an alien, whether it be a flying saucer, whether it be a pukwudgie or a fairy, you know, to them that is an absolutely genuine, real experience. Whether that pans out in reality, you know, we we can't be there. We can't be alongside them. We can't have the the same experience. Uh, and so we're we're always trying to you know we're always chasing the ball when it comes to trying to explain it or understand it. Maybe you know you're absolutely right. Uh, it it would be wrong to automatically throw the baby out with the bathwater and just dismiss something because it sounds far fetched and crazy. Uh, sometimes it might be far fetched and crazy, but we're not in a position to make that final decision. I mean, that's the the interesting thing, Steve. Don't you think, like, you know, the Bigfoot and the Yeti sightings, there's so many of them, so many. Is it really, you know, it's harder and harder to kind of just, like, poo-poo it, really. Well, what is is interesting is there has been a definite increase in the number of types of paranormal phenomena that are being reported if we look at demonic entities and elementals and shadow figures black-eyed children i think there is a, there is a sort of tendency for people to jump on a bandwagon uh, and fo- fo- follow fashion you know right. they've seen one therefore we've seen one uh, but, but things but, like the, but the yeti, you... yeti and, and and bigfoot they've been around for a long long time they're, they're not a fad really i mean they might be more well, I mean, I suppose you could argue that the longer it's been around, the, the deeper, the deeper into the sort of culture and uh, the, the myth sinks until it becomes 
uh, myth by fact or fact ah, by myth. I agree. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but 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 at the same time, you know, science is still discovering new, new types of animal. Even quite large mammals are being found every year. Um, you know, there's an awful lot we still don't know about our home planet. There's an awful lot we don't know about the paranormal. Some would argue that we don't know anything about the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, you know, as I said, we we can't. I think it would be naive to dismiss everything simply because it sounds far fetched. But I don't think that rules out the fact that it might be far fetched. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's unless you really, you know, have the body of one there, and then you, uh, it's a little hard to. You know, say if you can't touch it, feel it, and smell it, then you know it doesn't exist, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we all know. I mean, you know, there's an awful lot of things that we do understand in the world of physics that you mm. can't touch or smell or, or, or measure that we do. I mean, understand. to the common man, to the common man. Yeah, I mean, even concepts such as well, how how do you how do you touch the wind? How do you measure love? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there, are, there, uh, there, there are lots of things that we don't, you know, we, we understand as a concept uh, intrinsically, and yet, you know, we can't actually define them in terms of, you know, taking them and measuring them. What was interesting, uh, listening to um, Andrew, was so much of that, um, whilst it is alien to uh, and different to the British folklore, is certainly not unknown from the likes of Stephen King um, or The Twilight Zone. And he, one of the things that was going through my head was was that the uh, some of these, like the Pukwudgie and these, are these the, the forerunners of the gremlins, of the, uh, the other sort of Stephen King-esque type Halloween creatures uh, that haunt our nightmares? You know, I actually commented, as somebody said that, about uh, the the lady on the ledge was on a, on the episode of Supernatural. Uh-huh. A lot of these TV shows, movies, books, and stuff are based on something that is out there already, whether it's a legend, whether it's real or not. Uh, it, there is something already out there, and sometimes they expand about it, sometimes they tweak it a little bit, sometimes they change it totally. Well, I... Authors, are, you know, they, they seek inspiration in many in many places. Poets, you know, they go into the countryside, mm-hmm. and they gain inspiration. Some of the greatest po- uh, poems ever written um, you know, are inspired by nature, and I, you know, some of the some of the stories. We're running a series here on the BBC at the moment about Gothic horror and Gothic culture, mm-hmm. uh, and the inspiration for 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 this. Uh, the, you know what haunts our nightmares uh, comes, you know, comes from nature and comes into literature and then spreads through other literature and becomes almost an accepted fact. The, dra- uh, the, the myth of the vampire uh, starts off as, a, as, a, as an Eastern European concept that then, be, then is taken by the Victorians and turned into this elegant count. Uh, who who beds beautiful women in the you know whilst they're they're asleep and mm-hmm. bites them, and then spreads again into the twenty first century with this idea of vampires fighting werewolves and vampires that you know are trying to reform and are drinking synthetic presumably soya blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, we change we change these myths and folklores with every generation. Yeah. But you can still see the roots are still are still there. Some of the roots um, for some of these North American legends, uh, you see them in, in in books like Pet Cemetery. You see them in the tales of I remember the Twilight Zone and that little furry creature on the wing of the aeroplane, which oh uh, yeah, the which, gremlin, yeah, which was almost identical to the uh, Spielberg gremlins, where, mm. which started off as sweet little cute fluffy creatures, the Mogwai, um, which mutated if you if you were stupid and foolish enough to feed them after midnight. It's I, really I, fascinating how folklore intertwines with with our reality. Yeah, I actually saw uh, a picture on Facebook uh, when Stephen Scott came over here of one of those creatures on the wing of Aer Lingus. <laughs> yes, they get about a bit, particularly on the Irish airline. They're yeah, yeah. for having them. They get about, huh? Yeah. So it's, it, it is, I mean, we are a product of our, of our upbringing. We're a product of our society and we're a product of our... Of our culture and of our folklore, our mythology, what you know, the, the tales that we tell at Christmas and at Halloween, um, all colour our beliefs, and of course, our beliefs then colour how we how we interpret the world around us. If somebody is walking through the woods at night and they see something and they intrinsically believe that that in the Pukwudgie, uh, they're going to or the Sasquatch, they're going to more likely jump to the conclusion that. That it's something elemental, an earth creature, and mm-hmm. uh, rather than oh, it's a raccoon or, or it's a badger or a skunk, mm-hmm. um, you know. Uh, that's that was... why be- belief is fascinating, and, mm-hmm. and and it does, you know, it, it does run as a ve- as a steady vein throughout everything we do. Right. I want to go back a little bit about uh, how I. Met Andrew and and, and uh, that expedition. So, uh, on a paranormal expedition, is that something that that you've ever gone on, uh, Stephen, or is that something they do in the, the UK at all? Um, not really. No, it's uh, we tend to stick to more more conventional investigations, Inve- expeditions. I mean, uh, again, the the first thing that popped into my head when you were talking about that was the Blair Witch Project. Um, <laughs> this idea of you know tra- setting off into the into the the dense woodland in search of something mysterious. No, we don't do that over here. Maybe we don't have these huge vast areas of woodland that you can get lost in you know you walk two miles in any direction you're back on the road <laughs> <laughs> so i mean so so you can see the the uh i guess the the difficulty in in, in mountain that type of an expedition to study something like say the pakwajis i mean i mean if you were to mount your own expedition Stephen, what what would you bring with you, and 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 how would you uh, uh, how, conduct it? I guess is the word I'm looking. <laughs> wow, um, yeah, that's 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 something I've actually actively considered. I mean, I would approach it like I would approach, presumably, the the investigation of of ghosts, which which is my special speciality area, and that is first of all, I would study the. The witness reports and find out, you know, what people are saying, where people are, where, where are people having the experiences, because that that is the basis for for, you know, for the whole expedition, then, isn't it? Because right. if people are seeing something, 
then obviously you you want to be able to record visually. If people are hearing something, you want to be able to record audibly. Um, and you want to be in the right place at the right time. So the only basis for all of that would be the witness reports. Right, which is kind of what we did. So yeah. now that you've had your witness reports, you know yeah. where they've been seen and, and the, the the predominant localities. Now, what would you bring with you? What, how would you conduct the investigation yourself? I think just being there is probably the most important thing because um, what you want to do is to then have that experience firsthand because that gives you some degree of understanding because you can share that experience and examine it for yourself rather than examining a second-hand account or, a, you know, a, 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 in some cases a third or even a fourth-hand account. So it would be to be there and to try and document the the experience as best you can. Using, right, so in using documenting, the, what, what would you do? Well, as I said earlier, uh, if it was a visual phenomenon, then, then try and record it on video because with video you have sound and, and light, uh, sound and and picture uh thermal imaging might be might be of some use um a good supply of snacks coffee <laughs> um and a 50 cal uh, just in case you know err on the side of caution um but no it's just uh, basically to try and share the experience and to try and understand it and to try and gain some information from that experience mm-hmm. um would be the i think the only way i would approach it but, okay. you know, this idea of, you know, I don't know. It's not something I've done. I once went on a hunt for a big, uh, for an alien black cat. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah, it was, it was many years ago. And I don't think he, it, we were asked by the, by the newspaper, by a, a local newspaper, there'd been some um, sightings of a large black pr- uh, cat, like a puma, um, in a, in a, a built up part of uh, the, the northwest of England. Um, and they'd had what the, several people had contacted the paper, and uh, uh, at that time, I think the paranormal was sort of lumped into a, a you know anything to do with the paranormal. Parascience had paranormal in its name, mm-hmm. um, so they got in touch with us, and you know we duly turned up, and Winsper and myself, and one or two others of the team, and we walked through the woods. Um, it was a very small woods. It was probably several hundred yards by a quarter mile long. Um, and, of course, we didn't see anything. And to be honest with you, I don't think the reporter was taking it that seriously. I think he'd been sent out, you know, to go and cover this. <laughs> I think it was a cub reporter. Yes, he got stuck with the assignment. And we walked the length of the woods, which took us about 15, 20 minutes. And at the end of it, we had a flash of inspiration because, you know, we're dealing with... You know, let's, let's apply common sense here. I had pet cats, and Anna's got pet cats. Uh, if this is a, if this is a large cat, then it's it's still basically a cat. So uh, we sent somebody out on a, a short errand to the local supermarket, and they came back with a saucer and a large tin of cat food. And uh, like like any cat owner will know, we put the food on the on the uh, saucer and we banged it and shouted, "Here, kitty, kitty, kitty." Mm-hmm. And uh, that didn't work either, so we gave up and went home. So that was your glow in the dark penguin. That was, that was, yeah. We should have used the glow in the dark penguin or something. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't. As I said, 
I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and dismiss these reports. And people are, you know, absolutely convinced by what they by what they experience. I'm a ghost hunter first and foremost. I have enough trouble dealing with dead people. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're as much as I can handle. So I'll leave aliens, puckwudgies, elementals. Well, there is a relationship between the puckwudgie and, and the dead people because supposedly Ooh, they, you know, they. That's yeah, what, what was interesting listening to Andrew, though, was he gave a lot of information about what the Pukwudgies do, how they do it, why they do it. You know, there was a whole, there was a whole raft of information, and he prefixed it several times with, um, if you do your research. You know, clearly he's done his research to get that depth of information. Mm-hmm. But that's an awful lot of information to know about something that we don't know anything about. Right. Um, which which suggests that an awful lot of that information is actually folklore Um, you know that these are ascribed things that these these right yeah well you know like handed down from the the tribes and and so forth you know uh, but uh the the interesting uh thing about that is is if you were on this type of uh an expedition of course and you recorded for instance sounds and everything you couldn't just say, okay, that was a pukwudgie or whatever. I mean, you would have to go back and uh, have hopefully recorded these sounds and and play it to, I would think, people, uh, locals, and say, okay, do you recognize this sound? It, you know, even anthropologists uh, is say, can you understand? So I, I remember the ghost hunters, when they did Portsmouth Harbor, uh, they were going through the fort at night, and they heard... Uh, I think it was uh, Jason said, oh, I, I hear a, a scream. We'll have to ask Jeremy about it. Well, he never did. But almost immediately after that show aired, everybody in the local area knew that was a sound from the uh, toll bridge when it opened up. That's the, the, the sound that it made. So it was identified to locals, someone who yeah. understood what that sound was. What's interesting, if we if we talk about locals, I mean, obviously you would also want to play the sounds to naturalists as well because they might be identifiable right, absolutely, animal absolutely, sounds. Yeah. But um, in, in terms of locals, and we'll stick, we'll stick with the world of the weird, if we may, and move on to something else that fascinates me, which is Nessie. I saw a program this week on, our, on one of our main broadcast channels which dealt with the Nessie um, myth. The scientists had got together to explain Nessie, and what they what they did is basically work through some of the some of the very famous sightings that, that you can read about on any internet page about the monster, uh, and debunk them. But what they didn't do, but what I did do, and what others have done, and it is, and they are well documented also, is that all of the people who live around the loch, all of the people who work around the loch and see it on a daily basis, they they don't get confused by boats, by otters, by seals, by all of these other normal explanations, logs floating in the water. But they do consistently report seeing an unknown creature. Now, these are people who see the loch on a daily basis and are very, very familiar with it. And like you said about the locals at Portsmouth Harbour recognise the sound of the toll bridge. Well, these people around the loch are not going to be fooled by, you know, a, a rowboat that's tipped over or uh, a seal that's that's in the loch. And whilst I've been at Loch Ness, you know, you see these waves in the water, uh, boat wakes, and you see large animals like seals and you see large logs floating in the water and they don't fool you for a minute you really don't think that they're a monster um 
and yet people still do cite the monster. And a lot of people that cite the monster and report the monster uh, in Loch Ness are local people. But, but people said, oh, well, the number of sightings has dropped, therefore the monster has gone away. Well, in actual fact, the number of sightings has probably decreased slightly, but there is no, there is no mechanism anymore. Uh, people used to report the monster to one of the bureaus that, that, that investigated, the Loch Ness Investigation Bureau. The only place they can go to now is the Loch Ness uh, Tourist Visitor Centre, which yeah. is run by which is run by Adrian Shine, who is a notorious sceptic and will not follow any of these up and certainly wouldn't give the give the you know them any credibility or credence. So they're forced to go to the newspapers who inevitably trump it, you know if it's a if it's a slow news then they'll put a picture of the Loch Ness monster in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen Loch Ness. You could put a nuclear submarine into Loch Ness and most people wouldn't see it. Uh, you know, it is it is a vast body of water. Well, I have to interrupt you because we are actually going to play, uh, for Halloween, we're going to play a Beyond Bizarre. So, Karina, can we play that, please? The Silver Queen Hotel. In Virginia City, Nevada, there is a hotel that has stood the test of time. First built in 1876, the Silver Queen Hotel still does not have phones, televisions, or alarm clocks in any of its 29 rooms. Popular among history buffs and those who come to Virginia City to vacation and gamble, the Silver Queen has been host to countless wedding parties, anniversaries, and romance seekers. It also plays host to a few ghost hunters, for it is known for a high level of paranormal activity. While some people come specifically seeking ghosts, other unsuspecting guests have been shocked to witness haunting activities. One couple heard the sound of a banjo being tuned in the room next door, only to find the room empty when they went to investigate. The couple also heard an argument going on outside their door. When they flung open the door, they saw no one, but they still heard two voices arguing. The couple became convinced that the hotel was haunted. They were later awakened by a loud pounding at their door, but when they answered, they found only the empty hall. Other guests have reported hearing creaks, footsteps, and doors opening and closing. A terrifying tale from Varla Ventura's Book of the Bazaar. That was good. I haven't heard one of those for a while. Ah, The Phantom Banjo Player. Yeah, so anyways, I do want to mention, which is about out of time, but uh, I want to mention that uh, next tomorrow night's show is the live video broadcast. It's our Halloween special with Ann and I on Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. You can watch that on TojiNet or the uh, EBCTV website, uh, .org. Uh, is, so, is this uh, the one that includes uh, extracts from Spirit Quest? Uh, no, we had, we, this is, uh, well, there is an extract on, uh, Spur Quest with Ian and I doing the Ouija board, but, uh, we're going to have Nathan, we're going to talk about, uh, his top ten list of, uh, paranormal movies and, uh, Ooh. supernatural movies, and I will have my own as well. We've got a bunch of other stuff in 
there too. That's, of course, the doorbell, which means Pizza from the Dead is here. So we've got to wrap it up. I, I understand you have an event coming up too as well. I do. Uh, this time next week, I shall be talking to you from the other side of the Irish Sea uh, at Ennis Corthy and uh, getting ready for Halloween really? in, in Ireland. Is, is that event sold out, Steve? Uh, I, you know, I, the Halloween night definitely is sold out. And I think there are some limited tickets still available for the Wednesday and the Thursday night's talks, which are at Ennis Corthy Castle and include... Uh, uh, some ghost hunting afterwards inside Ennis Corthy. Uh, if you go to the Haunted Wexford webpage or the Ghost Chronicles page or my own Facebook page, somewhere on there you'll see the poster that says Ghosts Busted and uh, the details and how to get your tickets are uh, on that poster. Hmm. I'm, I'm making, a, I got an event uh, next week called Ghost Big Busted. <laughs> Just a promo for big ass ghost busting equipment. Yeah, big ass ghost hunting. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, I also want to mention November 1st, uh, we'll be doing a special Halloween spectacular for benefit of the uh, Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, and that will be at DZ. Uh, we will have Chinese food uh, and, oh. and music and trivia and. Uh, prizes and all kinds of strange stuff going I can on. Recom- I can recommend the Chinese food to anybody listening. There you go. And we'll actually be showing the short film, uh, the 2007 Emmy-winning uh, investigation of New London Ledge Lighthouse uh, with Jeremy and myself and the rest of my team. So, anyways, that's the music. So, once again, thanks for listening and hope to hear from you next week. Good night. God bless. There you go. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good luck. Spark your 